Hello, hello. Welcome to the Eddie Conversation Podcast. My name is Eddie V. Hill, and I am your host. This is episode number 82, and joining me today is Mark Hensley. Hello. Hello. <laughs> hello. How's it going? <laughs> it's going good. Thanks for thanks for hosting me in your space here. Oh, no problem. Yeah. yeah. My pleasure. We are currently in your garage. Yep. We have some stuff around us here, some nice green screen kind of kind of look, and uh, a camera of sorts here. Yeah, that's left over from a set I built for a film I didn't make. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into that. We'll get into that. What kind of camera are we looking at here for okay, the people at home? Okay, that's the Z-Cam F6 uh, with an anamorphic lens, phase and anamorphic, on my RS3 Pro Grimble. Sounds fancy. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you had this? Is this the same one that you've had? No, I actually bought this one about two to three months ago. I sold. I had two Blackmagic Pocket Cinema cameras, 4Ks. Uh, I sold one of them because I'm I'm gearing up to shoot uh, a feature this year. And even though I'm still shooting at 4K, the thing with the F6 is you can shoot um, super sampled. So what it does, it'll use the full 6K sensor, and then down convert that internally to 4K. So you get a much nicer, smoother image. I, I did a comparison of between the Blackmagic Pocket 4K, which I still love, um, and this one, and this just gives you a cleaner image. Um, but I'm hoping that Blackmagic releases a 6K that does the same thing this year. Cause okay, I and then you'll swap them out? Yeah, actually. Okay, yeah. all right. I, I really like the workflow with B-RAW on the Blackmagic cameras. <clears throat> nice. Yeah. All right. So I guess let's give a little bit of foundation for who you are. Yes. I think of you as uh, so. Okay. There's the kind of the main two pillars. I would say there's the filmmaker side. Yeah. You're the director and the kind of the almost. I don't know how you see yourself, but like the one almost like a one man band yeah. style. Yeah. Like you're totally. capable of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's that. <laughs> and then also. <laughs> Uh, sound mixer, re yeah, uh, re-recording mixer. What's yeah, the... that's that's basically my my main gig. How I get paid is I'm a re-recording mixer, and I've been doing that for almost thirty years. So I, you know, basically for those that don't know, that I do the final mix of TV shows and film and stuff like that. That's that's my main gig. So okay. Yeah. Great. I guess I'm either going to bump you up on here or let's get the microphone closer. All right. How's that? <laughs> okay. It's better. There you go. Okay. So, yeah, you're the – you yeah. Because um, we just had – I guess for, you know, those that listen to the show regularly, mm -hmm. we just had Amir on right. the show. Yeah. Talked a little bit about the process. Yeah. But I know you've been at it. You've been at it longer. You've been working on bigger stuff. So I'm excited to hear some of that too. Yes. We'll jump into that. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um. I'm figuring out, okay, so, whew, um, where do we start with Mr. Mark? Well, um, do we, because, well, I can, I can tell you how I started in audio post first. It was, okay. I was totally a music guy before I moved. I actually, I, even though I'm an American, I grew up in Holland and I, I always wanted to do something in music. Um, I wasn't a good enough player or songwriter to actually be, you know, I, I did play in bands. <clears throat> But I realized I was better behind the console and producing than I was a performer. So I moved to the States, to San Francisco, to go to recording school. 
Uh, it was all about music for me. And so I ended up working at the record plant in Sausalito. And I just happened to go to a trip to Vancouver where I met my wife, <coughs> decided to stay, and that's where I just rolled into post because I could record ADR. That's how I started. Um, and looking back, that was, uh, that was very fortunate. I, I'm, I'm really fortunate that I moved into post-production because I actually enjoyed it better than what I thought I really wanted to do, which was music. I still do music for the stuff I want to do. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I still love what I do. I mean, I still can't believe I get paid to do what I do for a living. I mean, it's, yeah, but, so. So I'm thinking you're talking about how you had some sort of realization when you're pursuing what you thought was the dream. Exactly. When you're performing and experimenting with bands and yeah. being the, being on the, that's not necessarily in front of the camera side, but that's the that's the performance front. That's the performance. Exactly, side. exactly. So when you say that you were bet, you lean towards the the production side, the production side yeah. because you were better, or because it was more fun, or like how? I, no, I I just realized I wasn't. I was never going to be good enough to make it as a musician. I mean, that's yeah, that's yeah, just okay. the reality. But I was really good at taking other people's ideas and making them better. Um, and that's kind of been, you know, the same thing when I moved into to filmmaking. Um, you know, taking a script and going through it and making improvements. Um, you know, that's, that, that seems to be kind of my, my forte, even on the filmmaking side, is taking another idea and finding a way to improve it. Yeah, I guess I was, you know, I was thinking about my own life when you're talking about, <laughs> right? <laughs> of course, you know, because it's like, I was thinking about how when, I forget if we've talked about this before, but when I, I got in on the acting side first, mm. and similar thing. I did not know that. <laughs> I didn't, yeah. Yeah, so I, I was doing the scene study classes, and I did a couple of theater plays, and I was like, I don't really want to be on the stage. I want to be in front of the camera. So I started producing right. my own stuff to be in front of the camera. And then similar similar realization where the production side was was pulling me harder right. than the performance side. But I, I wasn't really thinking like I'm never going to be good enough. I was just thinking, I don't know. I don't know if you felt this at all. I was my The thing that went through my head is I don't like this. Side. It's not even fun. You know, I love playing in bands, but... I just knew that there were people that are way, way better than me. And I think, yeah. I think that's a good thing to realize. Um, you know, same thing on the acting side. I've little tiny little things that I've done myself where I've done a part. I just look at it and it's absolutely awful. I mean, this last short I did, Uncut, there was literally one tiny scene where we needed somebody who gets, who's being chased on a bridge and then they get to that person, they turn them around, and it's the wrong person. I was like, you know, I'll just do that. And we shot it. I got home. I cut it in. And I immediately got on the phone to an actor friend, Brian Wallace. I said, I need to reshoot that scene because I look like an idiot. Even though everybody said that so, it's like, oh, I think it's fine. Oh, I think it looks fine. It's like, no, it's not. I look fucking ridiculous. <laughs> you know? And, it, and I think that that's... An important thing is to be 
self-critical of what you're doing and recognizing when what you've done is just not very good. I think that's the most important thing. Yeah, because I think we talked about that a little bit before. That's a, I think so. Because that's, that's a funny story for sure. Because, yeah, that's a, that's a realization that we come to when we... Because, I don't know, when you, when you make movies... Mm-hmm. And you think about like, oh, this just the this is a small part. I want to give to like a friend or somebody that's excited to try it out. And it's just like a delivery guy or yeah. somebody just the the simple quick yeah. glance of absolutely. Uh, it's I've real that this is the thing I've really learned from making these shorts the last few years and a lead up to wanting to do a feature is that if there's anything I've learned, it's that no matter how small the part is, get a real actor. They could be on the screen for. 20 seconds but if it's a friend or, or they just can a few it. just a few seconds just just a few seconds and suddenly your whole movie is turned into a b-grade school production i mean that's the reality i mean you do all this work everyone is great and then this one person who's a friend who is not an actor it just falls apart or yourself <laughs> or yourself exactly i mean that's the thing so that really is i mean even in in uncut there was uh, this one small role where the lead gets picked up by a girl in a car, and I knew Brittany Berchet from when we did a musical a few years ago. And I happened to run into her again. I said, you know, it's not anything big, but would you do it? And, you know, the thing is, is it's so believable. Like, even it's just a small 15, 20-second thing where she has a small interaction with the, with the lead, and he, and she's picking him up to help him escape. But it's, it's you know, it feels real. And that's the important thing. And, yeah, I could have probably got a friend to do it. But I know, you know, it wouldn't have been as good. And, and I've really just learned that everything you shoot is important. Every single scene is important. So get a real actor. Yeah. Good lessons. Good lessons. <laughs> and being in L.A., there's no excuse to have bad actors in your sh- in, in your projects that you're doing at this point. Because... Uh, one big thing I just recently found out, SAG has changed their rules to the micro-budget uh, contract. Uh, anything that you're shooting, even if it's a feature for under 20 grand, um, you you decide what... The actors are allowed to do it pro bono if they want to now. SAG actors. Really? Yes. Whoa. Yeah, it's really cool. I think they've done that to give actors... The opportunity to work on passion projects they want to work in without running afoul with the union. And so, I mean, I've, I've had this discussion with, with Phil Adrisi, an actor friend, when I was doing Uncut. And I, because I hate, this is how I've ended up being kind of a one man show. Because I hate asking people to work for free, especially on the production side, because they don't really get anything out of it. Whereas actors, you know, I was talking to Phil about this. I said the same thing to him about the act. He's like, no, no. He said all, nearly all, pretty much all his friends who are working as day players and stuff like that in, a, in network shows and stuff like that, he said they actually like doing these projects because it gives them a chance to do stuff they don't get to do on network TV shows. So, um, you know, if, as long as you develop a reputation for wanting to do good stuff, um, you will find that you should be able to find good actors for no matter anything you're doing. Well, I guess maybe let me know if you resonate with this too. It's not only just reputation for 
wanting to make good stuff or mm-hmm. making good stuff, but it's also the follow-through aspect. Absolutely. Because an actor giving their time to a project that's never going to make it out of an edit is... This, it's useless, know. and that's the thing. That's the one reputation that I've now gotten, uh, which is why I can get actual working actors to work with me. They know whatever I make is going to get finished. It's going to end up in festivals. Every single thing I've done has ended up in a festival somehow uh, because that's exactly the thing. It's just like, why else would they do it? Um, you know, it's there's... And you can't take five years to finish it either. You know, it's, it's pointless. It's like, you know, I think the biggest thing with, you know, doing these indie films and stuff like that is get it done, get it out, move on to the next one. It's never going to be perfect. I don't care how much, you know... Ron Howard in his master class says, great line, he says, every single project, you've, every film you make will ultimately break your heart because you're never going to get everything you want. He doesn't. You know, he talks about all these various situations that, you know, he really wanted these shots and they just ran out of time. They just didn't get them. And that's the reality. And so move on. Get it done. Whatever you learn from this project, Take it with you to the next one and get better. It's great stuff. <laughs> great stuff. Um, okay. So all right, let's so let's get back to mm-hmm. the journey here. Yes. So you found your what you you yeah, performing into finding the production side, yeah. meeting your your who would be your wife. Yeah. And then So I so I rolled into doing audio posts. It started off just doing ADR mostly. Um because I had the technical skills to, to do that and work with actors and stuff like that. And this was in Vancouver. And then um, one day I was at the Post facility. I was cutting some backgrounds actually for some show. And uh, the owner walks in. He says, you got to come and mix this show because the mixer doesn't want to work with this producer anymore. I'd never mix a TV show in my life. So... I went in, and it was a reality TV show called Storm Warning, uh, and it was literally all about storms. So it was like nonstop storms for 42 minutes. And, you know, I got through it, and suddenly I was a mixer. I mean, that's literally how it happened. I'm not kidding. It's like that is what happened. (laughs) So it's storms for 40, 45 minutes. Yep. Every week, I'd be... mixing an episode of Storm Warning. And yeah. then I got into documentaries for them. And, you know, that's that's really how it went. And So a little yeah. bit. So was it just, did you have a, it was just you? Or was there like a like a kind of team that you, I'm assuming there's like a larger team that you worked with. That you can there is. Is what, what happens with, uh, in post is like when you sit down to mix, the show, all the sound effects and dialogue have all been edited for you. And you bring those into your mix session. And then you mix them. But when you're actually mixing, uh, usually, for example, if I'm mixing a TV show now, I'll have another mixer who mixes all the sound effects. I'll do the dialogue and music. And uh, we have a, usually a sound supervisor is on the stage with us. So if we have to have fixes or changes, they'll take care of that in the background and get them to us. Once we get through the show, uh, we'll play it back usually for an associate producer They'll go through and have notes. We'll do those notes. And then we play it for the execs. And then they have those notes and we do those fixes. So uh, the team is usually, I would say, you'll have a dialogue editor. You'll have usually two 
sound effects editors and they'll split the work up between them. Uh, you'll have a Foley crew that records the Foley and uh, usually you'll have a music editor who delivers you the music and yeah. Okay, so you're you're kind of you're you're the you're the central hub of the sound yeah. department yeah. in post. Is yeah. you're the one collecting all these pieces from everybody That's and making right. sure it's cohesive across yeah. the full. Yeah. yeah. So we just sit there, we go through the show together and you know, make sure that what needs to be heard needs to be heard. Yeah. Okay. So you yeah, all right. So you mixed the storm show for a while. Mm -hmm. Got reps in. You said you're doing um like an episode a week or... Yeah, and then I moved into documentaries and then I actually got hired by a bigger post facility in Vancouver. I went to work with them and that's when I really started getting into uh, scripted TV. They had initially hired me to be dialogue mixer on the show, but because the client didn't know me, they wanted the guy that they knew at the facility. So I sat with him for about a year and that was a huge plus for me because I really learned from sitting with him how little I knew about mixing dialogue properly. I really did. And that year with him really laid the foundation for me as becoming a, a good dialogue mixer. Um, I learned so much from him that first year. And um, then I ended up at one point just going, I want to work on bigger stuff. Because the thing in Vancouver is, even though they shoot a lot of stuff there, it all comes back down here to post. Most of the big stuff. Nearly all the big stuff, actually. Mm -hmm. So, I basically came down here and started looking for work. And then, you know, within three years, I had another permanent job, basically, at a facility here. And I've been there ever since. So, and that was 11 years ago. Woo! <laughs> Woo! Okay, yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely, yeah, any chance, because, like, um, any chance you have to sit with somebody and watch the process that's been doing it for longer than you or that, that yeah, it's it's great to, I mean, that's why I love getting on set as a script supervisor right. or, yeah. or it's like just watching other See, people. I would love to be able to do that, get on set with, with a proper set just to have that experience yeah. of how things are done on on a real set. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> and then you, you yeah, you pull you pull all the all the all the what to do's and all the what not to do's. Exactly. And, yeah. Yeah. Both sides. Totally. But, yeah. I mean that's that's the thing and I I tell people when they want to come visit us on the stage, I, I always have the same thing. It's like you you do exactly that. You you look at what they're doing and you keep the good stuff that you think makes sense and the stuff you go, well, I would do that different, you kind of discard and you develop your own way of doing things. And I think that that's the big thing. I mean, there really is no r one right way, unless it's mine, um, to do things. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, that's the thing. It's like there's, there's a million ways to skin a cat and people have their own way of getting to that end point and I have my own way and it's it's not right or wrong it's as long as the end result is there doesn't really matter how you get there yes <laughs> <laughs> I yeah no I, I, I agree with the sentiment yeah. no for sure um, yeah and then of course in filmmaking, being able to communicate it to the team, making sure everybody's on the same page, all that kind of and stuff. And that's, yeah. you know, I, and I will say that that's the, the years that I've spent on the dub stage dealing with clients. Um, 
you know, I can say that that has been a big um, plus for me when I got into filmmaking too. It says, you know, I mean, I'm sure you know, it's like, it really doesn't matter how good you are. It's how you deal with the people around you and how you can motivate them and how you can get them excited about what you're doing. Um, so, and the other thing I, I think I've, I realized as I started getting into filmmaking and the more I started getting, you know, more and more experience, I realized how much I, I've actually learned from watching high quality projects on, in front of me every day mm-hmm. as a mixer. You know, it's kind of one of those subliminal things that I, that I kind of learned without realizing it. And that's come into play. But, you know, I, I think the number one big thing on, on set is, and when you're working with people, is to know how to, to deal with them and, you know, not be, you know, yes, at the end of the day, the buck stops with you as the director. But it's not about bossing people around. You know, that's, I don't think that that's what makes a good director. A good director, I think, listens to suggestions around them from their actors. Um, and you work together as a team. And if you can get the people that are working with you to really feel like this is a team effort, you end up with a better project. I mean, that's, I've, I've had that experience experience every single time on everything I've worked on people who are involved with what you're doing um will do a better job (laughs) yes yes I guess I was thinking about like I don't know um because you know I work with a lot of first-time feature directors or right um, so I see a lot of the uh, the same things over and over again with and then I, I don't know I, I think I was listening to like a podcast or or some YouTube clip of some, I, I don't know who was talking about it right. but somebody was bringing up the fact that the biggest mistake first time filmmakers or early filmmakers like a big mistake they do is they think they think a lot of it is just like the the, the process and the craft of right. the filmmaking aspect is understanding what shots you want and and how to direct the actors and it's right. like no no that's not the that's not the part <laughs> no that's not the hard part it's that's not the easy part <laughs> exactly. that's the fun part that everybody <laughs> wants to do the hard part is like the politics of it and the and the keeping this person happy what's going on exactly. over here oh exactly. my gosh my ad is getting frustrated the DPD. Exactly. how do i how do i smooth this out and yeah it's like yeah. those relationship management and, skills you know, I, and i think a lot of that truly does come from being knowing when to be flexible I think, you know, I mean, um, I mean, when we were doing Uncut, um, the DP, Shursti, um, who was awesome, you know, I would sometimes, you know, say, you know, I want to do this, this way, and this way, and this way, and, you know, let's shoot this this way, and then sometimes she'd be like, well, I think if we do it this way, I think that's going to be a better approach, I think it'll work out better, and I'd look at it and go, yeah, you're right, yeah, let's just do it that way, you know, because... I certainly don't have enough experience to discard somebody else's experience. So, you know, I think being able to really process what somebody is saying to you as not being, you know, an attack on your authority, but an actual idea, you know, being able to look at it and go, yeah, that's actually a better idea. Let's do that. I think that's really important. And that way you don't end up with pissed off people. 
you know well, that too it's a it's a it's a it's a win-win across the board is yeah. you get you, the project I, is there's potential the project is better and then mm-hmm. your relationship with that person is better and exactly they're more involved and they feel it's just yeah. and it, you know and that's the thing it's it is all about relationships because you got to remember too the minute you wrap that project and all these people leave if you've been a dick to everyone first off they're not going to want to work with you again Second, they're going to tell their friends, and it's a very small industry, and they're not going to want to work with you. Before you know it, you have a reputation as somebody who's just not nice to be with on set. And, you know, if you're getting paid a shit pile of money to put up with it, that's one thing. But if you're doing it for practically nothing, um, yeah, why? Well, I, I would, yeah, <laughs> even if you are getting paid the money, it's still, yeah. you, uh, hopefully, yeah. principles. But, yeah. yeah, who knows? Yeah, you know, still... I mean, so, yeah, and then some. I mean, that's why you will see people walking off of a set, off of a set, regardless of how much they're making, because they're just like, I'm not putting up with this. You know, it's like life's too short. You know, there's enough people to work with who are fun, and I think you get to a point where you just go, I don't care how big the project is, or the people that are involved, or what the names are that are involved. Um, it's just another project. Like, one project is not going to make or break your entire career, and sometimes it's better to just walk away and, and, and save your sanity and work with other people that are fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, yes. Well, lots of great stuff here, sir. <laughs> lots of great stuff. Um, okay, so you moved down to L.A. You found mm-hmm. yourself a, post, a post-production sound mix home. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, at what point... Or was this happening the whole time? You, you jumped in. You jumped into the filmmaker yeah. seat at some point for some reason. That again was kind of, kind of a gradual move as well. A little bit gradual. What happened is my wife's a writer. She had written this short script, um, and we got, we got a director to direct it. Um, didn't really come out the way we had hoped, and we'd actually spent quite a bit of money on it, and. I was basically just kind of producing. I, I didn't know what that was, right? So um, i not very happy with the outcome. We waited almost a year for the first edit, which we shelved because it was so bad. And then I had an idea for another short, and I figured I can do at least as bad a job and not waste all that money. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh-huh. Um, so we, I, we shot the film, it's called uh, The Daycare, and again, I had the idea, my wife wrote the script, and it cost literally like an eighth of what the first one cut, cost, and I did the edit, um, did everything on it pretty much after the shoot, and I did have a DP for that, and a very small, small crew, um, and it got into a bunch of festivals, and then I decided, okay, well, let me go back and take a look at um, the other one. So I I got all the footage from that one, which was pretty minimal for two days of shooting. Like, there was very little coverage. And I recut the whole thing, changed the whole storyline, and that got into some festivals. And then I was going to, I had a friend who had a play that I helped produce called The Christmas Present. And 
at one point he said, hey, can we shoot one of the performances, film one of the performances with a camera? Now, it was a very small piece of, what is it, three actors, something like that. She so said, well, why don't we just turn it into a feature? Just let's just shoot a movie. He's like, okay. So I thought, okay, I'm going to shoot a bunch of shorts because I'm not going to go jump straight into a feature. So I started shooting shorts. I built an actual set in my garage that was supposed to be the hotel room where we would shoot it. Um, but then COVID kind of hit, and it, it seemed that nobody who was involved with the project really put any effort into wanting to actually move forward with it. And it got to the point where I was just like, I, I can't be the only person wanting to do this. I, I, it can't all come from me. And I pulled the plug on it. I literally tore the set down, uh, threw it in a fucking container. And, but I continued making short films uh, because at that point I got kind of addicted to it. Um, I actually, you know, I bought my own gear. Um, this was actually, I actually bought the, my first cameras. It's about four years ago um, for the feature. I was going to learn how to use them and all that stuff. So I continued on and started teaching myself all about, you know, cinematography, lighting, uh, cameras, f-stops, lenses, blocking, all this stuff. And, you know, um, every short I did, you know, I learned the, from the mistakes from it. Uh, started learning how to do color correction. And, and so, you know, I just got to the point where the funny thing is, is, the budgets got cheaper and cheaper of the stuff I was shooting, but the quality wasn't going down. And so I, I really realized that um, it's okay to be able to shoot with almost no crew. Yeah, I think you, you've been um, you've been doing a little bit of... Yeah, you're, te you're testing that out, right? Is how mm -hmm. far can I push yeah. the quality with sacrificing... I don't know. Call it, call it the help on the yeah, front end of absolutely, it. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. So I, yeah, I think you even hosted like you went on um. What's the what's the app? You hosted a. Uh, oh yeah, on on on. Uh, oh, what's that app called? It's called Clubhouse. Yes, Clubhouse. Clubhouse. Yeah, you, you did it. You. Yeah, I want to do another one again soon, but yeah, I just I just for me it's all about encouraging people to stop using the excuses of of. Well, I don't have anybody to work with. Well, learn how to do it. It's it's really not that hard when it comes down to it. It's just it takes a lot of work. That's the thing. If you really want to be, you know, one of the things I always say is that if you just want to make a film, rent the equipment, get a crew. If you want to be a filmmaker and learn how to be a filmmaker without going to film school, buy a camera and start shooting. I mean, that's it, That's it. I mean, I never touched a camera before four years ago. And, you know, it. I think it comes down to how bad do you want to do this? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I really feel that because of technology these days, um, if you want to be a filmmaker, you can start taking those steps without having a lot of money. Yeah, so I know, I guess I was looking at my notes for the specific uh, topic <coughs> you're jumping across, and I think it was uh, guerrilla filmmaking yeah. and sometimes shooting without a crew at all Yeah, uh, in multiple locations across L.A. 
or yeah, can you be? Can you clarify examples of yeah. what you've accomplished with with well, little? I mean, this this last short actually that I did is called the visit, and because I've been able to put together a setup where I can literally shoot without a crew, including sound. Um, the whole the original script started out. John arrives at the train station and gets in an Uber. That that was it. Well, I turned that into a whole opening scene of him arriving at Union Station, getting off the train, walking out, hailing his Uber, getting into it. And I shot that entire opening scene, and I'll admit it looks really, really good. You know, I mean, it really does. It's it looks awesome. Uh, I've got a lot. Of, I've had a lot of compliments on it. That's great. That's great. I was able to shoot that at Union Station because I didn't have a crew. Because the minute you have, I would say. The biggest offender, even if you're just somebody with a sound guy with a boom, now you're a professional filmmaker. You're going to have problems. So all of that stuff, I whenever I'm shooting full-on gorilla in public spaces, I will never use a boom. Um, yeah. Because it's going to draw attention. But if you've got a camera and some labs that are recording, nobody cares. And I've, I've seen that happen on my last two shows, like Uncut 2. We shot... All over LA, we shot down on Colfax Avenue, uh, on the bridge, and you know, police would drive by. They didn't care. When we were shooting at Union Station, there was security and there were police. And the only time security came over to me was when I was setting up for a shot, and I put the gimbal on the ground. I was sitting on the ground with the gimbal to set it up, and the security lady came over and she said, "You can't sit on the floor." I said, well, can I leave my camera here? And she, she says, that's fine. You just can't sit on the floor. I'm like, cool. That was it. That's the only interaction I had with security the whole evening. And we were there for like three hours. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if you have a tiny footprint, nobody cares. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I guess the, that's the, those are the things, right? Is you have to, yeah, the tiny footprint, as you mentioned yeah, the, 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 anything that draws the attention, which, like you said, the the example you gave was the boom. Cause yeah, that's obvious sign of something's being filmed. That's really yeah. just way high up, and you see yeah. everything that's going on. The other thing is, I think they I don't even know. Like we've talked uh, mm-hmm. when you when you shoot around town, the the rules that they usually put in place are like the tripod. Yes, you can't impede traffic. You can't have anything. So what you do is, I have a setup where I have um, I'll either use the um, the gimbal, so if I'm using the gimbal, I'll either use a tilt of vest with an arm, so it's not a full, like, you know, with a big pole and stuff like that. It's just a floating arm. Or I have this little thing. I'll show it to you. It looks silly, but it's freaking great. This little thing right here, what I can do, I put that on, and I can, if you take a look at the camera, right, this right here, mm-hmm. this folds up, sticks in here, and I can either use it with the gimbal or without, but it's very low profile basically it's very much not obvious yeah, that you're yeah. shooting and so and all and all this is i guess for people that are maybe not watching the video version uh looks like a belt yeah with a pipe <laughs> with a pipe on it basically and, and it was like 40 bucks but it works you know and it's it's one of those things where it's like you know if you don't have it you're like shit i wish i had this thing to help me like carry around this 10 pound yeah, camera. Yeah, it gets heavy. Those it things get, get it heavy. does. That's exactly it. Whereas this, just it rests in there and you can just shoot. And, and 
it's again, it's not obvious that you're shooting a real film. Yeah, people, you know, you can yeah. be sneaky. Okay, great. I guess the, I guess here's the thing. I know, like you say, even me, I get terrified. Uh, Why? Well, okay, a few a few things, a few places my brain goes. Yeah, is I just came off of um, your film. I just came off of a feature that I first AD'd. Uh, I don't know, in Lake Tahoe. I've talked about it a little bit. Right. Um, I guess more of the point is while I'm ADing, you know, my creative energies are building up. I'm like, all right, I just can I just like get in the chair and start directing? Right. Need, I need like I need to direct something because I'm going crazy, doing all this logistical right coordinating mess. Yeah, totally. Um, so then my brain was like, you know, I just wanna, I just wanna get some cool actor friends together, mm-hmm. and I just give me I'll I'll use my own camera and. I'm like, I just, just let me, I just want to give direction and shoot yeah. something. Yeah. But then my, my <clears throat> insecurities go to the sound side and I'm like, ugh. Well, here's the thing with sound, especially if, <clears throat> if you're using a fairly small cast, let's say four, four max. Let's say you got four, four cast max. Sure. You get, there's, okay, all my, my last couple of shorts I've shot with really inexpensive, well, basically inexpensive wireless labs uh i have a deity connect setup which is two mics and then i just bought this new saramonic uw mic 9s which is also a stereo lab and they actually sound good um you know they're not the kind they're not the kind of wireless systems where you're going to be sitting in a video village you know half a mile away but it doesn't matter because if you're shooting a no budget indie film you're most likely likely going to be having those receivers hanging around your neck on a bag while you're shooting you know you're not going to be half a mile away you're going to be with right 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 so first off it doesn't really matter what the reach is who cares you're going to be right there and then i have a little zoom um f6 recorder which is literally like that big it's it's tiny and so the way i've got it set up now and all these things record really well and forget about a boom because unless you have an experienced boom guy handling that boom, your boom's going to be useless. So, you know, I just get these things and I, I, I tape the labs inside, underneath their shirts, wherever, right, close to, their, close to their throat. And that's what I record with. And then you fix it in the mix. And it sounds fine. I mean, I'm not shooting Transformers. <laughs> you know sure yeah because that's it say for my scenario here because mm-hmm. i yeah i uh okay is let's just say there's it's me my camera and one actor and that's it record straight into the camera <laughs> seriously record uh, straight into the camera uh-huh. just just use the wireless transmitter the receiver of of the wireless lab connect it to your camera go direct camera and i did that with the last the visit um numerous times where i just went directly into the camera mm-hmm. it's it's totally fine because yeah, yeah. because you're not using the mic pre anyway you're going in line level so the so-called audio quality of your mic pre is irrelevant at that point <laughs> but i also know okay this is i also know <laughs> that you come from it with the the vast experience of post production sound mixing yes where you know that like, all right, this is per- this is the sound I can I can I can yeah. mess with this in post, and this is this is gonna this is gonna work perfectly fine. Again, I'm not making transformers here, right? 
but then I'm like, well, I yeah, that's that's my I've a lot of insecurity on the post sound mix side for for me handling right. it myself at right. least. But yeah, regardless, it's it's a, it's approachable. And I yeah I need to, I need to figure out that mic because I mm-hmm. I've been tempted on buying something for myself because all I have, I mean you see my little my little zoom, yeah. I've got the zoom and I have uh, my little boom setup I got right. my mic and stuff but I don't have lavs right that tie into my zoom or right. that I can exactly. hook up to so I, that's that's the piece yep. I'm currently missing. That I think it'd be fun to get more confident about. That. Yeah, and that's why I say I would say and this is why I love Amazon. Um, you know, one of those ceremonic setups, the new one, if you hate it, you send it back, you know, mm-hmm, get it, mm-hmm. check it out for a week or two. Don't like it. Send it back. Um, yeah. But again, my, my number one suggestion for, you know, no budget indie filmmakers, forget the boom. Like serious. Yeah. I mean, even on the big TV shows I work on half the time, we can't even use the boom because they can't get in there because they're shooting multi cameras. Boom guy can't get in there. I mean, I just finished mixing Tulsa King. That entire show was laughs only. Wow, really? Yeah, no boom. They didn't record a boom. Huh. So. And that 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 decision was made based off of you guys, like no, your feedback. No, that was that was their decision. I don't know what how that decision was made. Um. The quality of the show didn't suffer under it. You know, I mean. Yeah, I know directors <coughs> like. Because <laughs> uh, you've done onset, you've done production sound as well. Do you have any experience with? No. Th- okay. <laughs> I ha- I have no professional onset sound experience. None. Gotcha. None. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. But my experience has, I've, I've gotten so much poorly recorded audio that was recorded using, you know, high end stuff. You know, like, um, you know, Sanken labs and microphones and all this stuff. And because the person using it wasn't very good, uh, it just doesn't sound very good. So for people to think, well, I've got to go out and buy an expensive Sanken lav mics and I have to have the most expensive boom and I have to have, you know, an expensive recorder. Um, No, you don't. Like you just don't. I mean, you can, you can get away. Like I said, if especially if you've got a small cast, um, if you're doing a two-man record, record straight into the camera on the two separate tracks, you'll be fine. Uh, one thing I, I'm actually really excited about that I've been reading about is the new Lumix S52X that's coming out this year. It's going to have four channels of audio. And to me, for a guerrilla filmmaker, that's going to be amazing because, <clears throat> again, you can hang your two small receivers, loud receivers, right onto the camera and record straight in there, right, right into the camera. So you're, you're, you, know you're, you know your audio is going to be in sync. You don't have to worry about syncing it later or not, it not syncing up in post. Um, <clears throat> you know, I mean, the way I shoot, if I have to right now shoot with more than two people i i have my setup set up in such a way with my with the rs3 where i have the dual handlebars but on the connection of that i've got it set up so i can have both my receivers mounted to it as well as the zoom recorder and so all that stuff mounted on the arm 
I'm completely in control. I can monitor the audio. I can record it myself. It's all time code synced. And, but I'd much rather just have the opportunity, the option to actually just mount the two receivers on each side of the camera and record straight in the camera. Yeah. That sounds great. And, and really, honestly, all you have to do is place the, the lav mics um, up under, you know, close to where their mouth is under their shirt, like, you know, and, and it'll be fine. It, it'll be, let's put it this way, it'll be way better than a poorly recorded boom mic. Seriously. Yeah, because I know, I know, again, like you said, you get a lot of bad audio from bad, bad onset sound. Yeah. Because um, I know, yeah, that's the other thing, too, is there's an art to just getting oh, that audio. Totally. So, so yes. Yeah. So even the sim the simplicity of taping a mic to an actor, you have to understand what that actor is going to yeah. be doing. You yes. Have to under like absolutely. There's a lot that kind of goes into. I mean, give you an example. In one of the things I was shooting recently uh, for this last short, um, the actor had a very hairy chest, so I had to watch out where I was placing that mic because any bit of movement, you'd hear the actual rubbing of the hair in the mic. So you have to think about that as well. So. <clears throat> that's the other big thing too you know it's like when you're shooting you look at what you're shooting to make sure that it's right same thing with audio you have to monitor the audio you're recording because don't go by what you're seeing on the meters you definitely need to have your headphones on to make sure that things aren't getting weird because otherwise you get back after the shoot and you have a bunch of audio that's mm -hmm. unusable yes great <laughs> uh the slight, slight, slight detour. You mentioned yeah. Tulsa King. Yeah, you recently got to meet uh, Sylvester Stallone. Sylvester yeah. Stallone. That was he, really cool. He came to. He came to your spot. Well, I was, well was yeah, he, he was, was. He was recording some ADR next door for the show, and um, they invited him over to the stage, which was cool. And he came in, and uh, he was really cool. He's, and I will also say, he definitely knows his craft of filmmaking um, there were numerous times during the season where he would have specific small changes you know like like there was one one scene where he and this was after we had finished the mix um, he got a cut of it at home he watched it, he says no I want to cut this line out and we we went back cut the line out and when you watch the scene it completely changed the tone of his character for the better. So he he's very, very good at what he does. And he was really cool. Like when he was getting ready to leave, um, you know, I said, do you mind if we take a picture? He's like, no, no, sure. Let's go outside and out here where there's more light. We'll take a picture. And then he goes, okay, first we'll take a group photo. Then we'll take one individually. And that was really cool. Like he didn't just go, yeah, we'll take a group picture. Okay, great. See you guys later. It's like, no, he took the time with each one of us separate to take a separate picture. And I, I thought that was like, yeah, and it sounds that's like a class a, yeah, act. Yeah, and he communicated it so that way it wasn't an awkward thing. Exactly. Like, All right, everybody has to come up to me individually and ask. And exactly, exactly. And it was cool, you know. It's just like that is, yeah. But working on that show, he, um, I, I can honestly say that his notes and his decisions really made a difference to the show. Yeah.
Yeah, because I mean he's been heavily involved in in since, well, since he wrote Rocky. Yeah, since, since <laughs> the know, beginning. So, yeah, yeah. yeah he's so got, he, he's got. Yeah, he know he, and you know that's the thing. He knows what his character in that show is supposed to be, and he was very, very much involved with making sure that that was maintained. And little lines of dialogue here and there made all the difference. So. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. Okay, all right. So I guess to get back to <clears throat> one man banding, yes. film, guerrilla filmmaking, and all that kind of stuff. Just a question here: mm-hmm. If you are going to add a, a crew member to assist you in mm-hmm. making something, let's just say if you're going to bring one person with you, what do you want this? What is this person? DP. The DP. DP. Yeah, I would prefer not to have to be handling the camera and directing at the same time. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I found that, you know, that's one of the big things when I was working with Shristi on Uncut, that that was very cool to be able to not have to do that and focus on the actors. Uh, but definitely the DP would be the very, very first person I would think about bringing on. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And then who after that? Who after that? <laughs> You know, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think having a good first AD honestly is important. They can they can take care of stuff and make sure that things are guided properly. Um, and and, and I got to honestly say, after that, because the way I shoot, especially lighting-wise, is very minimal, I've, I'm, I'm a real big fan of shadows and the film noir thing um you know and i've i've actually gotten to the point where i've got a pretty good handle on light and my whole thing is like i'll i'll look at what i see in the viewfinder or on the camera and adjust the light accordingly and i'll try and always work with practicals first and then add to that and my experience so far has been that you can get away with very little additional lighting if you use the practicals. Yeah, properly. and I guess just to clarify for those at home, a mm-hmm. practical light is... Well, that's the light that's hanging off the wall or, you know, it, that's around. Um, you know, it could be something as simple as a, a desk lamp. You know, this this one little short I did called uh, He Moves Unseen. There's a, there's a shot and... Um, most of the lighting in that shot is the desk lamp on the table. And I've had so many great responses from that shot because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I I come from a point where I don't have to see every single corner in a room perfectly lit. I don't care what's going on in the background. Um, I only care that the things that need to be seen are lit and and that you can see and um i i'm not a big fan of really brightly lit locations i mean i there was a thing on reddit the other day that i read and this guy had shot this short and he's like you know we had to improvise most of this because the actor that was supposed to play the father didn't show up but he had to cancel so we had basically had to improvise this and it's this guy gets at this comes to this his friend's house and it's christmas time and I basically said to him, I said, well, 
I, there's nothing wrong with the improv. And I, I, it, you know, that was all real, well done. I said, but it looks like you're in a freaking doctor's office. It's so brightly lit. It's Christmas. This should look warm and inviting. Mm -hmm. But it's none of that. So your biggest problem here is your lighting guy and your DP. Like, they should have focused on what's the mood of the scene. And I think that's my big thing is I always try and focus on what mood am I wanting to convey and I'll light it for that. Yeah, and your moods are typically uh, darker. Darker. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm always seeing your latest stuff and I'm like, yep, this is uh, <laughs> right. classic Mark Hensley. <laughs> <laughs> like you said, the noir kind of yeah. heavy shadows yeah. and dark rooms. and I'm Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, I don't know, I really like that. Uh, yeah, I've always been drawn to that style. I mean, I think... You know, I think it harkens back without knowing it. One of my biggest influences has, has been the original Blade Runner. It's, you know, that whole, you know, it's just brilliantly shot and, and it just, yeah, it looks great. It's a classic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So DP and AD, that maybe that makes sense. Those are the, those yeah. are the big heads of the yeah. giant production teams. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Because I, yeah, as a director, the more you can focus on the the creative, the exactly. better. It's like you don't want to have to be wrangling. Like when's lunch coming? And exactly, and it's like can somebody else just handle this? Exactly, I wanna, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's you know, the, that's why I've in this one man band show kind of thing. And now the reason I've gravitated towards that is because of the way I've started shooting my my films, which is um, the last two shorts I did weren't like okay, we've got two days to shoot this and that's it. I will shoot a couple of hours, like four or five hours a day, um, when the actors are available, and when I when when the timing when the time is right for the time of day. So I don't try and get everything shot in one or two days. Uh, when I did uncut, which is almost eighteen minutes long, um, you know, it took a couple of months to shoot because we would we didn't go out and shoot. You know, okay, we got to shoot uh, five pages tonight. No, it was like, okay, what are we shooting tonight? Okay, let's shoot, let's shoot this scene. You know, where he's getting chased into, you know, the 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 mission, and then let's shoot this scene where he's running down the alleyway. And we were going to shoot one more scene after that, but it was eleven o'clock at night. I'm like, we're done. We're going home. Once we got this shot, we're going home because I'm not having people who again are there not getting paid. Um, staying up until three in the morning to get because we have to get that. No, we'll just come back and shoot it again. Yeah. How how did you feel about the? Because I know something that happens when you have a project that's stretched out piecemeal style mm -hmm. is it, keeping the crew size and the team small is super helpful because yeah. the less you have to coordinate, the exactly more, the more likely it is to find a date to make yeah, it work. Totally. Um, but that being said, still any number of people to coordinate on a single date. Um, did, did you ever feel like it was a little bit of a pain to get that wrangle? And no, was actually it wasn't. It was never was. Happen? No, it's, I mean, that's the thing because, you know, we're doing uncut. Usually it was two people in the scene at the same time. And it was just me and Shrishti. And there was an occasion where Shrishti couldn't make it. Uh, I had to do some reshoots because... My this was when I was still using a separate anamorphic adapter. It's I won't go into that, but it's it's a little convoluted, and I realized that the it wasn't 
set up properly for focus. So everything was a little soft. And um, and they they weren't dialogue scenes anyway. So I just went back and reshot those myself. They were some running scenes here and there. So Shursi wasn't able to make it, so I shot it myself. But mostly Shursi was there. Um, yeah, and that's a little different too because you had already shot it before. Yes, so, so it was easier. We knew exactly what we were going to yeah. do. So I just set the camera up again. Now it was in focus, and we shot it. So yeah, definitely that that made the difference. It was almost like the first time was a rehearsal, and the second time we got it. Yeah, yeah. She helped you figure out yeah. where to where it was all going to go, and then you're like, all right. Let's, but you know, yeah. again, that's the advantage of also having your own equipment and shooting it that way. Is that because what I would do every time we shot something, I immediately put it in Resolve, edit it in, and I told all the actors too in advance. I was like. Anybody sees anything they don't like and they want to reshoot it, we'll reshoot it. So we've had we had the opportunity to go back and reshoot scenes that um, we just weren't quite happy with. Yeah. Let me ask you about a little thing that I work a lot of in film with, and the the the, the extended shoot stuff worries this part of my brain a little bit but let me hear how you mm -hmm. combat that and it's called uh continuity okay continuity um like i'm thinking of like actors hair growing losing losing costume pieces or like I, 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 well the i mean you don't want to stretch it out too long yeah yeah we, we, um even like in two months time yeah stubble changes like i don't know what the well it, it's funny stuff. you mention that but i don't know if um and i have to admit what if i go back and think about uncut <clears throat> i can't think of any major uh facial hair things or or hair that were very obvious that would have changed um or that did change i actually can't think of any uh and our actors were very, very conscientious of their wardrobe and making sure that they had the same thing. They had, they had footage that they could look at and make sure that they were wearing the same thing again. Um, so they were very much involved with maintaining their own continuity. So that that was a yeah. plus. So, but again, I think that that comes from having this very inclusive way of working, where everybody's input is more than welcome yeah and you, know? you so you would cut it and you'd have they'd have the footage yeah as you were shooting yeah you know it, that's helpful i mean there sure. was there was this one scene where sam was coming outside of the building and you know i was i was really inspired by this, this the, by the film the third man and the way that was shot with the shadows and all this stuff and um the first time i shot it um i realized that when i got home I zoomed in on this one part of the shot and that was how I wanted it to look. But it was, by zooming it in like that, it didn't look, well, the focus was off. So again, so that was again a perfect example. It's like, okay, now I know how I want it. I know how I want it to look now. So now let's go back and reshoot that scene, you know? And Sam was like, cool, yeah, you know? It's like, because he wanted to make uh, make it good. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, I, I've heard of like actors getting really like I don't know if it's offended or I don't know. I've yeah. had the I've I've seen not through my own stuff, but even just mm -hmm. stuff that I'm on, where it's like we have to go reshoot this because of lighting or because right. of this. Then people feel like, well, 
You know, it's funny. I, I maybe I'm fortunate, but I I've had the there was a whole car scene that I shot with Sam and Phil, and I was trying this one technique that I had seen online where you you do a rear screen projection of driving down footage that you've seen so that the car is actually standing still and people are kind of moving and shaking the car and using a flashlight to simulate. And so I shot that whole scene that way and it looked like crap. Like it looked... and You had a rear projection. Yeah, I had a rear... Because we set it up here in the driveway, did the rear projection and it just looked like... It looked like shit. Like total shit. And <laughs> uh-huh. I showed it to the actors. I'm like... I hate to do this, but we're going to have to reshoot it. And they saw it and they're like, oh, absolutely. absolutely. I said, it has nothing they're, to do with what like, you guys like, did. yes, please. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know, um, when we were shooting the scene of Sam running down the alleyway and the girl coming into scene, uh, actually it was the tunnel, um, you know, that was a split diopter shot. So it was a little, you know, initially a little tricky. So we got it right. And... When we finally got the shot the way I wanted her to come in so that her shadow would be at the exact right angle, I was like, okay, that's great. Yeah, we got it. And played it back for Sam. And he was like, no, no, I I don't like the way I run. run." Because he then takes off again. He says, I don't like the way I run away. And I think we did like four more takes before he himself said, okay, that's good. So I've... You know, I've been fortunate that the actors I'm working with actually care as much about doing it as as I do, and and I think that that's the big thing. If if you're, you know, if you're not just trying to play director, you know, you're out there playing director and pretending that you're doing something. You know, when I think when the people you work with see that you're really serious about what you're doing. And you're trying to achieve, you know, something really good. And you don't always get there. That's the thing. I mean, I think I think your goal has to be, you know, I want this to be amazing. Um, you're not always going to get there, you know. It's just not, that's just the way it is. I mean, there's things in Uncut still that I wish I could resh- would reshoot. But I've, I've moved on. It's done. It's over. It's been in a bunch of festivals. It's won some awards. So I'm fine. It's a fuck it, you know. That'll be the next one. Yeah. And... But you have to, if you can convey to the people that you're working with that that's your goal and that you're really serious about this being as good as it can ever be, then they're going to want to do the same thing as well. And I think that that's how you can move forward as, you know, even making no budget, you know, shorts and films. Yeah, I'm all about that. That sounds <laughs> lovely. Because uh, I know it's it's a tough balance sometimes as 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 director when when like you said you're very specific about something yeah. and then some things it's like okay you're specific about that great then like you said yeah. I need you to hit this mark because the shadow needs to be like this exactly exactly so this is what I want and then he speaks up well the way I'll run away this I, I, I don't so yeah it's yeah like, for me to turn around and go no it's fine that is being dismissive of your actor you know when. When you listen to them and go, okay, yeah, if you think that that's wrong, cool, let's do it again. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll stay here all fucking night if you want to. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Um, yeah, because then sometimes it comes up. Yeah, I guess the tricky situations are sometimes when the, it's important to you and it's mm-hmm. important to them too. And there's that little bit of the the, yeah. the f- finessing through that. But that's, uh, again, it's good that they care and you guys exactly. can have the conversation. Exactly. 
And that, and you know what, that's, that's to me, that's when it's fun. That's when it's fun when you're, you know, when you know that people are working with you that just want to do their best. You know, it's, it's, yeah, um, yeah. yeah it's fun. My heart has been warmed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, yeah. So, and again, there's a lot of great actors in this town that, um, that are like that. And I think that, um, you know, it's, you know, for somebody starting out, it's a matter of injecting yourself in that culture. You know, when we first moved to LA, one of the first things we did, we found out about this thing called Tuesdays at Nine. Yeah, and then Tuesdays at Nine, just to clarify for people, that's the uh, uh, an in-person event. Yes. And it's it's like a... It's a cold read thing. Yeah, cold yeah. reading. Um, yeah, writers will show up with scripts mm -hmm. and they'll pull from the audience of actors and yep. they'll just read it in front. It's just yep. like a semi-little show. Yeah, exactly. Show showcase for the writing, showcase for yeah. the actors. I mean, that's how I met Phil Adrisi. That's how I met Guy Pico, all people that I've worked with. Because um, <clears throat> you actually see them performing, basically. So yeah, you can talk to them after. Exactly. And um, so now with Uncut, I, uh, I knew Phil was going to be in it. And I asked him, I said, you know, for the opening scene, I'm looking for somebody that's a cross between Gary Busey and David Duke. Like, that's the look I'm going for. And he came back. He said, I think I might know someone. So he contacted him first. And he said, well... My friend Max Williams, he's uh, Max E. Williams. He's, uh, I think he'd be perfect. So he sent me uh, a link to an audition uh, reel of Max. And I, I, he couldn't have hit the hammer, the nail more on the head with him. It was I, literally exactly what I was looking for. Ooh, nice. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was scary. Um, and so I sent Max... And when I saw him, what I had written for the opening, what was going to be his part, because uh, it was this white nationalist president that we had elected, um, it was fairly small. But then I saw his reel. I'm like, no, I'm going to expand this this opening okay, speech. Okay, yeah. And inspired, yeah. Totally. And, uh, and the funny thing is, is part of the speech is a translation of a part of a speech that Hitler gave when he got elected into office. It was his first speech, his first radio speech. So I sent it to Max, and I was waiting to get the email back going, yeah, this is, this. I can't do this. This is, oh, he couldn't wait. Like, he could not wait to shoot that scene. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, he's phenomenal. He's, 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 again, he's an actor here in L.A. that's like, just fantastic and i'm i'm actually she's going to be the lead in my in my next oh feature. nice yeah. nice yeah okay so <laughs> so it's all about character you know it's all about development widening your net slowly building up a yeah. pool of people that you know who know people you know so I you're mean, very very word of mouth based very word of mouth based mm -hmm. yes absolutely mm -hmm. i mean another example we were doing this thing called bad agent that you worked with I us was on there that. okay so we were looking for actors for that. So I happened to be with one of my shorts at a film festival for We Make Movies. It's their first year that they did it. And this film comes on called, I think it's called The Briefcase. 
and I'm watching it, and I see one of the main actors in it. I'm like, that's the fucking guy. That's 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 our bad agent, and it's Brian Wallace. Yeah. And again, so after all the films played, went up to him. I said, I want you to be in the short. I, you know, you are exactly what we're looking for. And he's been a friend ever since. We've been doing stuff together. We're going to be doing more stuff together. So, again, it's about getting out there, seeing what these people are doing. Um, I think whenever I see people doing casting calls on through Facebook and stuff like that, oh, we're going to be doing a casting call. It's like, why? I honestly, I don't, I, I honestly don't understand it. It's mm-hmm. like, no, you should already know a list of actors or actors that know actors that think that they'll be up to the part. You know, I mean, um, when I when I cast for this thing from last year for the uh, what's that thing called collaborative film challenge, um, I got cat. No, actually, cat. No, when I went to cat cast for uncut, and I um, Sam and Haley, his his wife, who is also Haley was in our music as well. So as was Sam. Haley was in another short I did, and her neighbor across the hallway is also an actress and um, I got to know her and cast her as the woman chasing Sam in Uncut and when it came time to do this thing called For Collaborative Film Challenge um, I picked her to play in it and again she's great you know she looks great on screen she just has this presence and she too is going to be in this next feature I'm doing. You know, so yeah, casting. <laughs> yeah. N- no, you know, I mean. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, all right. So <sighs> we are, we're, we're, we're nearing time here. Yes, I'm sure we are. <laughs> <laughs> I have so much more I want to bring up, but. I don't know. Okay, I'll I'll keep just quick, quick some maybe some okay, more. I'll try, more. I'll try and keep it short. <laughs> uh, I'll throw something fun here. Okay, and this is um, because okay, uh, maybe three things here. This one's easy. You posted on Facebook recently. It kind of made me laugh. I think I just left a like on it, but right. it made me laugh. You tr- you're talking about white noise and watching paint dry. Like oh my you had god! A, yeah, <laughs> you had a that I screenshot it for myself to pull it up here, but the the post was like, "Hey everybody, I tried putting on some white noise tonight to go to sleep, and then yeah, promptly followed that up with watching some paint dry." <laughs> <laughs> and here's the problem with white noise: I don't even remember what the freaking movie was about at this point. I honestly, I don't. Okay. What what which one was that? That was with white noise. That was with. Um, God, what movie is that? I have no idea. It's, honestly, I, I watched the movie and I'm like, right now, I couldn't even tell you what it was about. Oh, okay. Because I, I thought you were talking literally about you had a white noise machine. No, it's a movie. Tr- okay. It's a movie and I'm watching it going, what? <laughs> I, I, I literally can't even think of, I don't even remember what the freaking movie was about, who was in it. That's how bad it was. Yeah. You know, and this was like, what, two weeks ago? Something like that. You know? It was recent. It was recent. I okay. li- yeah, literally, watching paint dry would be more fun. 
Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> so you're yeah, you do you do post your reviews here and there, little thoughts. Yeah. Um, I'll skip to. Did you know everybody at home that Mark Hensley has an Emmy? Yes, I do. <laughs> um, I know when we when we were first one of our earlier interactions, we were shooting some stuff in your backyard. I think right. Yes, and. I think because we were at your, I don't know if that was my first time at your home or what the case was. I think so. But you, you're like, hey, you wanna, you wanna hold the, you wanna feel the M. I don't even wanna hold it. I right. This, yeah. is, this is something people like to do. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh yeah, this is this an is Emmy. Fucking heavy. Yeah. This is this is heavy. And then you're talking about, yeah, you and you have, I'm sure you have a go-to story on, like, because I don't know, in in the film industry, <laughs> there's the weird thing of there's. The you have to submit yourself for Emmys, right? Or yes, w- w- the way it works with all these awards, it's just like with the Oscars. You you submit um, because TV, for example, TV, you would submit an episode that you think is worthy of you know being nominated yeah. for consideration. And then what happens is the members in your peer group, and what that means is you have to be a member of the Television Academy, but you can only vote. Only people who are sound people, members, can vote for sound for the Emmys. So they'll, they'll have this huge list of TV shows that have been submitted for consideration. And then basically your own peers pick out of that list what they think are worthy of being nominated. Then when you get nominated, those same people will then vote for the top five. And that's then you gotcha. find out who's winning. Yeah, because I think what... Okay, firstly, the Emmy was for which show or which... That was for episode? Genius. Genius? Genius Picasso. Okay. And what, what year was this? It's about four years ago now, I think. Something like that. Okay. And then, I remember you saying prior to that, too, your team was expecting to win an Emmy for something like the Mayans. Yes, before or? that, I was nominated twice before that as well. First time was actually for... Um, Oh, what's it called? Uh, the show with uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Cosmos. Oh, Cosmos. Yeah, and everybody I knew said, because the category it was in, which is um, basically documentaries, uh, nonfiction, one hour, they were like, there's no way you guys aren't winning that. It's just not going to happen. And literally everybody who worked on that show, including sound, everybody one that night, except me and my mix <laughs> partner. <laughs> oh my. So then fast forward, I think two or three years later, uh, first season of Genius. Um, and this was the Ron Howard episode. And it was a really good episode. And um, a lot of hype. And we got nominated again, didn't win. And then the following year is when we got nominated for Genius Picasso. And I literally said to my wife, I'm like, we're not going to win because no, it's not, it doesn't have the hype of the previous year. And there's a lot of good shows we're up against. I mean, it was a lot of stiff competition. I said, but we're going to go, it'll be fun. You know, we get to go to the governor's ball afterwards. It'll be fun. And we won. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like literally when you least expect it, it was like, what? <laughs> Seriously. Right, this one, this one. I thought yeah. The other ones are a little bit <laughs> Exactly. Better. You know, like, and sound-wise, honestly, the other two, in my opinion, were better. But, hey, okay. well, I'll take it. it happens. <laughs> That's how it goes. Yeah. 
And then I know I saw this. I for some reason I guess I haven't been seeing these shares or whatever. But you have your you have a big birthday coming yep. up next year. Sixty numbers number six zero. Yeah. Congratulations. I'm an old <laughs> <laughs> um. So I was kind of surprised. I'm like, oh, I didn't notice. Like this wasn't something. I don't think you're sending invite. I I don't know how you're sharing it. But the point is, is your there's this kind of like a long. I think it's in July. Yeah, it's in July next year. It's going to be in Holland because that's where I grew up. Uh, and I have a lot of friends over there. And we're going on vacation to Europe again next year. Okay, okay. Because so, on the thing, it doesn't even specify where it's at. It so, does, actually. Does it? Yes, it does. Where does it say? It says Breda. B-R-E-D-A. Oh, really? Yes. I clicked on it today. Really? Doesn't it, I'm pretty sure <laughs> it's it says probably it. there. Oh, okay. So I assumed it was in Los Angeles. No. I'm like, well, I guess I'm not going, people. No. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you fly to Holland. Because I saw, what I noticed was Amir said he was going on there. Oh, that's funny. So I'll I was like, well, look. I guess I'll, yeah, I'll click <laughs> it too. July is a little far away. <laughs> I'll, have but I'll have to make sure that it actually says Breda. I'm pretty sure I did put that there. But, well, you, you know. have to kick me off the list. You know, I'll put Breda, Netherlands. Then more people will realize that yeah, it's, it's not going to be downtown. It's not like a bar or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so what... What what are your hopes for uh for this for this uh, this new well I for the celebration itself I guess how do you celebrate something like that uh, well I'm gonna have a bunch of friends there's um there's a place in the town where, in the city where I live there's a uh, it's you know it's like a big it's where a lot of people go to hang out and so we'll we'll there's a one one of the places it's uh, it has a kitchen and stuff so we can get food and. <laughs> you know, just have a party. It's the thing is, is the cult that you know, life and the culture over there is is quite different. You uh -huh. know, the social culture. People just don't go to a bar to hang out. Um, you know, they go just to have a good time and and not watch TV and uh, chat and yeah. So okay, great. I guess what I what I was hearing initially was like, well, we're going to a place with a kitchen and it's got room and no. people hang out. I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah. I don't. Uh, it's yeah, super vague. They'll, they'll have food and stuff. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Well, that sounds like yeah. It's a it's a starting the celebration early here. Yeah, getting yeah, getting ready. Exactly. Nice. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I know we've talked a lot about. Um, different projects we've name dropped projects and stuff are, are these public in any way where people can watch some of these um, and yeah most of them are actually just viewable on my vimeo um so do we just google like vimeo mark hensley and you'll find so. it I, th or? I think it'll pop up yeah for sure okay. uh if you pop up um you could also do a if that doesn't show up you could do a thinking which one would be the most recognizable name that would definitely pop up I don't know. Just look, yeah, just look for either the daycare, uncut. Okay. You know, stuff like that. So. And then for people that want to follow and keep up with what you're kind of cooking and see your latest stuff, is that the best place to kind of just be checking in, or do you have? Because I know you don't like. I'm just not big on, on on Instagram and shit because it's I don't know. Sure, sure. You know, I mean, right. I, I'm on Facebook, of course, but yeah. um, you know, it's I would yeah. I mean, Vimeo, and then the reason I like Vimeo is because I like it better as a streaming platform for video. Yeah, you it's, know, it's it, higher quality. Yeah, 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 yeah. Over so. over YouTube. Um, yeah, it's got the professional vibe, better yeah. quality, 
or yeah, yeah. plus so the other thing I like about it is like when you update a video it doesn't destroy the original link so you when you update it old links that you may have posted somewhere will oh, okay, it, yeah okay. it doesn't change the URL link to 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 see it so nice well here we are yeah here we are <laughs> And no, I'm glad. I'm glad we finally were able to sit down. I know for people at home that may be more familiar with me, Mark Hensley sound mixed for uh, my first feature. It's what's on the inside, right? And you're currently helping and working on and touching up on yeah. uh, Chama Days, which should be done within the next two weeks. Very exciting. Yes. Very exciting. So yeah. yeah, and then I know like we met just through like some one of the pop up collaboration yeah. film shoots and yeah. No, I, I that was uh, like what. Well, it's like pre-pandemic. Right? So. Yeah, it was pre-pandemic. So it's it's and essentially I, right when I moved to LA, like 20, 2019, probably well, that year. Now, was was the first one we did? Was that Bad Asian or was it? Um, I think it was Bad Asian. Was it the one with the the gangster um, guys? No, I, it was I bad think Asian, it was Bad Agent. Yeah, and we we've done a few. Yeah, but um, yeah, of course. I mean, as as you're as you're um, a lot of the the. What do we call it? the 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 outlooks on the process and how you approach things? Those are definitely, I mean, that's why that's why yeah. we're still hanging out and catching yeah. up and keeping in the know. Because I'm like this, you do I don't know. Just I want to make sure you, you yeah. I'm like well, you know, you could. I'm happy to help. Yeah, could bring bring out the ad here. You yeah, know, it's, yeah. It's, Wait, but but again, you know, the I've had other people say, you know, I'll I'll be happy to come out and help, but it's just like. The problem is, is most of the time it's just such short notice. Yeah, yeah. And I totally get that people can't do it. So yeah, you know save I mean? save it for for a little bit more it's, of a specific thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. like it's like what I do with music. I have a friend who's a really experienced composer, but I only ever call on him on projects that I think are really warranted for it. You know, like I did it with Uncut. I'm going to do it with the next one. And but all the other little ones I do, I just throw yeah, something yeah. at myself. You yeah, know, I I think that's the the other thing too is only don't over don't overextend your welcome when it comes to asking for favors. Yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. that's my approach with stuff. It's just, um, yeah, yeah, no, most definitely. Okay, well, uh, that's the show, everybody. <laughs> thanks, thanks again for hosting me in your space. And for those of on. you that are still awake, yes, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh yeah, make sure you follow the podcast on whatever leave a follow, leave a like, comment, all those kinds yeah. of things. Um and all I want to say is if you want to make a movie, just fucking go out and do it. It's that it's that simple. It's that easy. Just uh, just get it done. Yeah. Um great. Well, all right. Bye everybody. See ya. <laughs>